We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This show is called The State of Play, and myself and Norman Riley, who, who joins me on the line, we do this every month to try and get into where Newcastle United are as a football club and a team and, and look at some of the bigger picture stuff. Um, and because there's no game this weekend, we decided to put it out for free. Uh, and as a, as a little bonus to you, the True Faith listeners, and as an even bigger treat, we are joined on the State of Play podcast by The Athletic's Chris Woff, who's going to talk all things Newcastle United with us today. Chris, thanks for joining us. How are you getting on? No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, strange not having football for the weekend, but in some ways, and I know that a lot of people made this joke, at least the weekend can't be ruined by Newcastle. They're unbeaten this weekend, so therefore, we should all be delighted by that. Two in a row, eh? <laughs> Crystal Palace and nobody uh, quirking in their boots these days. Um, I agree with you, uh, and... and you know, the, the TV companies seem to have a particular delight for putting us on a Friday night at the minute. So, as Simon Campbell would say, um, Mr. Misery Guts, uh, it's nice to get out of the way early, but not when you win 2 0 away from home in the last minute. Uh, that was quite nice. I think, lads, to kick things off, and, and uh, Chris, I'll come to you first, but then Norman, as ever, very keen for your answer and your response to Chris and, and, and your opinion, Norman. But, Chris, Newcastle United, we, um, thanks to the genius of, of the manager, moved up a place yesterday without playing. That's how good he is uh, with Leeds's two-goal defeat at Chelsea. So we're up at 12th. Um, Newcastle United finished 13th last season. Looks like we could be in for a, a similar season in terms of league position. Do you think, having, you know, from what you've seen so far this season, Chris, do you think that with the players at the manager's disposal, with the wage budget, uh, with the manager himself, with the owner, with the MD, do you think that this is Newcastle United in 2020? Uh, 13th place, uh, mid-table, but not really in any danger of going down, but not really any prospect of pushing towards that top eight. Like, how do you see Newcastle United where they are now, mate? Well, first, the short answer is I think, yes, if this probably is Newcastle. I think 13th, as um, as has been said many times, is is roughly the average finishing position under Mike Ashley. And so I think largely that that's where they are. In terms of a few things you, you noted upon there, the squad, I actually think the squad is probably better than 13th. I do think this is the best squad Newcastle have had, certainly since the middle of sort of Alan Pardew's reign. I don't think that there's, there's been a better, certainly in attacking sense, uh, actual array of players there. And having a proper centre forward in Callum Wilson means that they have goals and that they have the ability to maybe be 
more attacking and more expansive than they are. But we haven't seen that yet. And so that is sort of almost on paper. They have that. Obviously, we've barely seen any of Ryan Fraser due to fitness and then injuries and the like. So maybe you can cut a little bit of slack in that sense that that they have had a few injury problems. But in terms of the manager, yes, uh, he keeps on saying he wants to push for top 10 and a lot of the squad do. And I think that that is the aim this season that they would like to, to break into the top 10. And I don't think that is completely beyond the realms of possibility. But from what I've seen, from up to this point this season, we are uh, 10 games in from, from a Newcastle point of view. Should have been 11th this weekend. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that there should be a, actually a, a top-half team. I've seen a lot of very poor teams, Newcastle very much amongst them. I'd say there's about seven or eight very, very average at best sides in the Premier League. Newcastle are very much in that bunch. They've won some games comfortably, but that tended to be against opposition who've been very poor on the day. And I think that the reality is, and sorry, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but everything is with Newcastle, certainly under Magashi, is about context. And with an owner who is still desperate to sell, the potential that that could happen at any stage, although it's unclear exactly what is happening with Premier League and arbitration. And one of the Premier League's own 20 member clubs regularly fighting every opportunity to kick the Premier League in public whenever they can. Uh, don't don't like to update their supporters on actual other issues, but they're quite happy to, to just put out statements when it suits them. Um, I think that that is the overriding factor here. And, and Mike Ashley has never had any real ambition to, to get at the top 10 or beyond. Never really had any ambition in the Cups, although hopefully over the last 18 months I started changing. Obviously, there's a potential cup semi-final if Newcastle can get past championship opposition away albeit a very good championship opposition and so I don't think there is any ambition higher up in the club they may deny this but I I don't think that there is because they are just almost let's make sure we're a Premier League football club so that if and when this sale happens Mike Ashley can get his money he'll get the, the, the money he wants and then the prospective new owners if they ever do come in can try and push on from there so yeah to back to the short answer I think this pretty much is Newcastle United 2020. Norman, your thoughts on Chris's answer and, and, and your own thoughts, mate? Very difficult to disagree with anything Chris said there. In fact, not difficult to disagree. I just wouldn't disagree because um, he was bang on. The interesting thing, I think, this season is, you know, if, if you look at if you look at like a historical pattern on the mic, actually, this this is to a certain extent the ideal, isn't it? It's, as you say, uh, as you said, Alex, where hopefully, you know, no, no relegation battle, but then not too high up on the table, that we get a situation like we did when Pardew got us into Europe, I think that actually that actually seemed to panic Ashley slightly. And obviously we went out that summer and brought in Vernon Anita and Dem Gail Bigger Amana. After finishing fifth, it was almost like, oh, we've finished too high up the table. I've got to go and spend money. I don't want to. So let's just um let's just not do that and get back to where, where I'm comfortable with us being next season, which you know almost backfired because we nearly got relegated. I suppose we eventually did two or three seasons later. But this this is the ideal, isn't it? However, what how I see it at the moment is it's the pandemic has had a massive impact on how the the leagues played out. It's almost to a certain extent acted as a, a leveler in many ways. You you know you look at look at the table last season, this time last season after ten games, um, Newcastle were fourth bottom on nine points, and fourteen points that we have now that would be enough to see in seventh place last season after ten games. And there's a so there's, there's a there's a big gap between that sort of bottom three four and the kind of top six seven, whereas. This season, that's not that's not the case. The points have been distributed um, remarkably equally, and I think that's because the the pandemic, not having home crowds there, so you know to a certain extent taking home advantage, has has kind of acted as a bit of a leveler. And 
obviously fans are being staggered back into stadiums now, but you know, I, I doubt we're going to be in a place where we're seeing actual full stadiums by sort of March, April time. And even even if we are, the impact of, of those emptier stadiums by that point would have, you know, it would have it would have covered most more or less two thirds of the season. And I think in a bizarre way, Newcastle's general inconsistencies under Steve Bruce, you know, let's put in two or three poor performances, lose two or three games, and then pick up a pick up a win. It, it, to a certain extent, it, it's working in our favour in that a couple of wins after a few defeats can lift you right up the table. So if if this pattern's repeated throughout the season, Newcastle, looking at it, could actually finish anywhere between sort of you know fifteenth and eighth. As silly as that sounds, I don't necessarily think. And in fact, I don't think we are a side that is is good enough for eighth in particular. But at the same time, how the league's panned out this season, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. If you see what I mean. Yeah, that make, makes complete sense. And you are right. I was looking at the table from the same stage last season, and, and that's the strange thing, isn't it? How every time we win a game, you're within a couple of points of the top six or the top four. And you know, as, as the season goes on, you'd expect that to, to end. But I think that's the that's one of my frustrations about this season. And I might, I might, you know, I'll be interested to see what you guys think. I, I think this season has been underwhelming so far, um, uh, despite 14 points from from the games we've had uh one of the reasons for that is every time you know we'll go to southampton on friday night a few weeks ago and if we win that game we could go second and while southampton are, are a good team they finished below us last season and uh they were in good form and you know great but so were we having having just beaten everton and and get, and get a draw at Wolves the previous week, even if the performance wasn't there. We're going to that game, and it's it's the kind of capitulation that that I haven't really seen from Newcastle since the days of Steve McLaren and John Carver. And and that's and I think that's one of my issues under Bruce is that any time you get a glimpse of of success, you, you're reminded like twice as hard about the limitations of the football club and, and the team. So you know, I, you know, last season we're going to West Brom, and I was actually watching. The West Brom highlights. Don't ask me why. Just now, else I do. <laughs> Northeast Tier Three. Um, the the West Brom Cup highlights, uh, which is the last game Newcastle game was at actually before the pandemic, and um, you know we're three 0 up after fifty five minutes, and everything looked so good, and then you know the rest of the game was absolutely dreadful. West Brom could have got back in. We probably deserved to get back into it as it happens. Um, you know we'll go to Burnley under Bruce this time last year, maybe. What the? F- I, I can't think of the date exactly, but two weeks before Christmas, we'll go to Burnley, having just won at Sheffield United, drawing Man City, beating Southampton two one, and we'll go into that game eighth. And I think if we win, you know, we're going we're going to jump even higher into the league. And you know, he picks a team that makes no sense against a, a dreadful Burnley side at the time who were really struggling. They ended up having a good season after that. Um, so every time under Bruce, that like, you get close to anything meaningful it always seems to be dragged back. And that's one of my main concerns with this team is I think, Norman, you hit the nail on the head there with, you know, it, it's almost like a couple of, it, not even results, all right, a couple of bad performances. And then you pull one out the bag and then that gives them, you know, two, three, four weeks. And, and Chris, I'd be interested in your views on this. Um, I think before the Palace game, and, and again, it was only online mostly. And there's the argument, particularly by people, I think, at the club, who say, you know, the fans are actually behind Steve Bruce, it's just Twitter and all that. You know, if we'd lost that Crystal Palace game convincingly, 
it, it would, you know, it was one of those results that the tide was really rising in terms of opposition from the fan base to Bruce. And then he pulls out a, a result that is a very good result um, on a performance that was improved, but okay, if Palace had won the game, I don't think anyone would have thought it was a robbery or anything like that. Um, you know, how, how how do you feel that Steve Bruce in particular is going to manage this season if, if, and it's a big if, if it's con- if it's like permanent crisis, then pull a result out. Do you, do you think that's sustainable? Do you think people are going to put up with it, or do you think that actually I'm being a little bit harsh, and and there are signs of something a little bit better out there? Because you, you know you mentioned that you thought the squad was very good, um. So I you know I assume you think they must be at least capable of of doing more than what I'm suggesting. Uh, just before I answer the question, in terms of going into that Palace game, I'd agree that I, I felt the the tide had turned, and it's very difficult in current pandemic to know beyond social media and just speaking to people. But there was a lot of people who I'd spoken to that week who lifelong Newcastle fans who hadn't even put on the Chelsea game or had turned off after twenty minutes and saying, "I'm just not bothered anymore. I'm not. I'm not going to watch it. It's annoying me too much." And I think that. Uh, the 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 way that Bruce had answered some of the the criticism in in the weeks leading up to that had frustrated a lot of fans, almost sort of batting it away, and it was almost as if he was sort of shielding himself from that. And it, it's going to be difficult for to know how he's going to manage the pressure without knowing yet how the stadium's going to be. In theory, I think it's is it the sixteenth of December. We could maybe move into tier two in, in, in Newcastle. We're not 100% sure. I think the likelihood is it'll probably go on a little bit longer, but fans may start to come back into St. James's Park in the not-too-distant future. And if that happens, then I think that the pressure may begin to ramp up in terms of it won't just... He won't be as shielded from that. He won't be completely... He can't just say that it's people on social media and there can't be this bizarre attitude that there seemingly is within the club that it's like a small percentage vocal minority as I think was was, was it termed the other week as a, how, how can you quantify that for a start I mean I can't quantify how many people are anti-Bruce or pro-Bruce I'm just going by what I am looking at and and all the overwhelming oh, sorry missed my word up there overwhelming evidence that I've got both from social media and from people I speak to is that that a lot of people are fed up and and and, and aren't dealing with it and you mentioned Palace, and, and they won, and, and it was a good win in the end to win 2-0, but for 85 minutes, the game was awful, and it wasn't immeasurably better than we've seen in a lot of other games so far this season. And it, it, it's it's a one of those classic occasions where the result dictates almost how people view it. And you, as you say, if they'd lost 1-0, it wouldn't have been a, a massive injustice, and then I think the pressure really would have ramped up. So that was those last five minutes were, were, were very important. But I do think we've seen a lot of this almost boom and bust with, with Steve Bruce. Just at the point where he needs a result, a positive result, he, he tends to get one, and then you, you, it almost feels like though in, in four or six weeks we're going to be back in the same position whereby Newcastle are going to have had a couple of awful performances. And we're, we're going to revert to where we are now. As I've said, I think that the squad is better than there's been, and the the mitigating factor that Steve Bruce can, can maybe call upon is that he says he hasn't put his best team out yet, and so we are yet to see that. And maybe if in the coming weeks and months he can get that out more regularly, they can find some sort of consistent pattern to their play, then this pressure will start to dissipate a little bit. But at the moment I, I find it difficult to see beyond that because I think some people have sort of turned and just can't really see the way forward under Steve Bruce Norman are you one of those people? I will look right so this it's it's difficult to 
verbalize how, how you feel, how, how I feel, because look, it, it's easy, easy for me to turn around and say Steve Bruce is the problem here. Well, ultimately, he's not like, look, Steve Bruce is limited as a manager. His career suggests that. We know that. Then you have to look at every other Newcastle manager that Ashley's employed, bar the complete outlier, Rafa Benitez, who, who approached the club. He wasn't a he wasn't make well that wasn't make actually going out there and making that appointment. That was Rafa Benitez approaching the club, right? So he's a total outlier. And Alex, you mentioned, and we've you know we've spoken about the fact that under Bruce the results are up and down, up and down. There's this inconsistency. But the reality is, if you look at Ashley and who he's employed, right? Look at look at under Hutton. Under Hutton, we smack Sunderland five one, beat Arsenal one nil. You know, next few games, I think we lose to Stoke possibly at home, get hammered off ball up five one, um, a terrible nil nil draw at home to Fulham. Um, that that was a pattern under Pardew. Same thing. In fact, under Pardew, the, the losing streaks were actually heavier and longer than the under Bruce. And then he would go on these mad winning runs. Um, Carver, obviously, we, we saw what happened under Carver. McLaren, we saw what happened there. So Steve Bruce, ultimately, he is just to a certain extent repeating the the pattern that has you know been the case under Mike actually from day one more or less. Um, so I think we can't progress under um, Steve Bruce, but ultimately. After 13 or 14 years of Mike Ashley, we have to ask what progression actually entails under a Mike Ashley regime because the only time we've had a relative modicum, a modicum of success was when we finished fifth. And obviously, we all, um, at least, you know, us a lot of true faith felt that under Rafa, we were heading in the right direction. But Steve Bruce has kind of just, you know, set us back to, to default. And that default is up and down, up and down. You can even look at the fact that we've been relegated twice under Mike Ashley. You know, there's... There's always a danger that under Ashley we, we become a yo-yo club, and that again, that's just indicative of, of what the results are on the pitch. They're very yo-yo. So, does the squad have more potential than um, it's shown at present? Yes, it does. Would a better manager probably have us finishing high on the table? Yes, he probably would. But does Mike Ashley necessarily want us to finish high, high, high up on the table? I don't know. Um, so, therefore, to a certain extent, Steve Bruce is is utterly ideal at the moment for me because I do. I do believe that we will stay up this season. I believe we'll we'll stay up in relative comfort, and ultimately that's that's the bottom line, and that's what's frustrating. And and Chris mentioned, you know, when Bruce saying that he hasn't had a chance to put his strongest team out yet. I think we're all just waiting for Ryan Fraser to start playing central defensive midfield again, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, Wolves Wolves didn't know what hit them that day. Um, yeah, some interesting points there. <sighs> I think Chris, you, you made a great point about the Palace game and the uh, the result result being kind of all encompassing in terms of how people judge the performance. And this is one of my issues with Bruce, and where I might disagree with Norman slightly, is that uh, you know let's think back a year ago to Crystal Palace at home when we won one nil, same opponent, and it was the exact same type of game, wasn't it? Crystal Palace probably had the better of an awful game, but we won, and everyone went home happy. Then we're going to Old Trafford four days later against an out-of-sorts Manchester United, who, to be fair, did finish the season very strongly, but were you know, put in a, a scandalous performance, really, um, losing for one. And that's that's my concern with, with, with us right now, is that, and that's why I, I return to the, the initial question that I asked, is I think this is, and I'd love to be wrong, as always, I think this is the limit of our potential I th- under this manager. Mm-hmm. I think that... That it, it there is there might be the odd result, and you know, favourable fixtures are coming up. Um, how favourable remains to be seen. There's been some good analysis on social media this week. People have pointed out that both Brighton um, and Southampton and Leeds are the, the three teams that press more than any other side in the league. Uh, and our games against two of those opposition didn't go well. So can Leeds away be be viewed as a 
a straightforward game. I don't think so. In fact, I think it's highly unlikely we'll get anything from that game for that reason, unless there's some sort of tactical evolution um, in the way we play uh, before then. You know, you, you know, Aston Villa has been postponed. You think Fulham and West Brom at home are, are very winnable games, but th- then it's on to a, you know, <laughs> then it's on to uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Leicester in the space of four or five or five or six days or whatever. So my concern is that, and I agree with you, Norman, probably that we won't get relegated this season, but we are stuck in this kind of perpetual winning a couple of games we, we, we might not deserve to. Um, and that's and that's it. And, and maybe the odd performance like a Burnley at home. But if you look at the games we've won this season, they played well at West Ham, uh, only had two shots on target, but did create other chances. Um Played well in the second half against Everton, and Everton are in a bad run. They were missing several key players, um, and then we beat Palace, um, which was you know we've already discussed that. And I think one of the things for me is the, the reason I, I mentioned that West Brom game before is I remember going to that game, um, you know, kind of convinced that we would play four four two, and we did with Almiron behind Joe Linton. Um, and it was the same against Southampton. It was the same against Burnley. And I just, you know, this season and, and this manager just feels like one giant loop. So, you know, talking on the podcast, and it's the same on the podcast. Chris produces every week part on the time, which which is great. When I recommend all listeners to listen to it. Um, you just end up talking about the same thing season on season. So we'll play a big side. We're very passive. We'll go back to five at the back. It gets so toxic at five at the back and I've said many times before Newcastle's problems aside are not just how many centre backs they play but it is a it is a it is a part of it and then it comes back to these reaction type performances where Bruce goes fuck it we'll play four four two um and then we'll play like this for a little bit in a run of games then we'll play Liverpool on Boxing Day regardless of how we do here. We'll go back to the five at the back. We'll get like you know beaten in first gear um to the extent that the team's confidence is so low that when we do play a decent side again um, oh, sorry, not a decent side, a side closer to us in the league again, that we end up playing five at the back still because the team have been doing so badly. And then that gets so toxic, he goes, fuck, I'm going to play 4-4-2. And we either beat the team that will play 4-4-2 or we don't. And that's my concern here, Chris. Do you think Do you think that's a valid concern or do you think I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh on the manager there and the way that he sets up his team? I think it is a valid concern. I, I wouldn't say it's just quite as... as sort of clear cut as that but it does it does certainly feel and and all of the soundings I got before that with Palace game were similar to that and it was exactly the same ironically after Palace away last season which I know you've I've listened to you many times say that 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 was one of the you left early I think didn't you the away game it is an away game in London yep because it was it it was abysmal I mean that was and we've seen a lot of abysmal football the last few months so it was probably favourable in some ways to what I've seen recently but it was I remember at the time thinking this is absolutely dreadful and then I know I know that there was a sort of a lot of soul search and it was almost like he basically privately admitted this is this is awful and I need to change it. And so then Newcastle, either side of lockdown, played four, two, three, one, and it was the best football we saw from him, I think, the entire Bruce era, certainly over a half dozen uh, game period. And th- there was injuries which sort of made him move away from that. But but the fact that he then just seemed to revert back to to that formation and, and then started the season with with four four two and obviously it worked against West Ham who, who were terrible on the day and he didn't change it for Brighton and they, they got so ripped open that they reverts back to it and yeah it has seemed to be that cycle ever since and and the game that I still can't I still can't comprehend I still keep coming back to this this season is is the Burnley game 
where again Burnley were terrible and that has been a consistent theme and the, the teams who Newcastle have beaten the, the opposition have been terrible now you can argue that Newcastle themselves have, have had to make them be terrible but also they, they've profited from they've been against passive teams who don't the fact you mentioned teams who don't press I think that is an important point because as soon as they come up against someone who has higher intensity for, than them they do really struggle but the Burnley game, he played four two three one. He had Joel Linton in, in in the number ten sort of role that shifted during the game, and, and he went slightly out wide, and he had Sam Maximan just behind the striker. But that fluid front three behind the striker, and it worked. And then for the next game, he moves to four one four one, which he'd never played before, which seeded the entire midfield to Man United, and they got ripped to shreds. And then he reverted back, and that's that 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 still to me is just I, I don't understand what happened there. And I mean, I listened to the podcast every week and I listened to Luke Edwards on last week and I, and I, and I really like Luke and, and I think he made some valid points. The one bit where I really disagreed with him on was when you, you were asking him about sort of style and 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 formation and, and philosophy and, and Luke just said, oh, well, they're buzzwords. What, what do they matter? Well, it matters in the sense that I've covered this club for, for, for five or six years. I've covered Steve Bruce's Newcastle United for 16 or 17 months now. And if someone, if I get invited onto, onto a podcast, if it's a national podcast or whatever, and they say to me, how did Newcastle play and how does Steve Bruce want to play? I can't answer that question. Now, I can tell you, I barely watch Leeds, but I can tell you how Leeds play. I can tell you how Brighton play. I can tell you what the idea is behind what they're trying to do. But I don't even know. And I've asked this question several times to Steve Bruce, and I still can't answer that question. And he's 16 months, 17 months saying it's a work in progress, but a work in progress towards what? Someone who professionally covers the club can't answer that after 16 or 17 months. And that is where my concern is. Really, really good point that. Norman, I know you, you've said the same things in the podcast before. Do you just want to talk a little bit about that and kind of the, the lack of identity compared to some of the clubs Chris mentioned? It's huge. What what I started thinking of there when, when Chris was saying that, and obviously we, we've said on numerous occasions that, you know, that, with Newcastle in its um, current state, like it's it's almost genuinely impossible to have like a good instinct about a match. You know, when somebody says to you, "How do you think the match will go tomorrow?" And like uh, for the first time in my life as a Newcastle fan, I've, I've genuinely not had this kind of automatic reaction because Bruce's teams are so inconsistent. Like as you as we've mentioned, we lose two or three games with the absolute worst performances I've seen in years, and your automatic expectation should be, "Well, we're definitely going to lose." as I thought we would at Palace, and yet we went 1-2-0. And that ties in the fact that there is there is nothing at all predictable about the side. And I don't mean that like predictable in a negative way as well. You know, obviously, you can see predictable can be, can be well, oh, that's so predictable. But I'm talking about the fact that we, we don't have any kind of, like, um, what would you call it, like, like a seed of an identity. There's not even a seed of an identity there. It is literally just a constant reactive state that we seem to go through. Like something, as you mentioned, something works, stay with it, then it stops working, change it. But actually, what we've changed it to has made it worse. We've gone back to what it was originally. Oh, that's worked again. Let's change it again. And there isn't this, there isn't any form of, of consistency. There's nothing that I can see. Even after the 2 0 win at Palace, you know, you think that's a good away win to, to Palace 2 0. But even looking at that performance, there's nothing there that you think, well, actually, that'll be, you know, there's the, there's the genesis of something because it's almost like we've had. We've had numerous wins where you've thought maybe that's the start of something. Um, Southampton away last season, for example, but it hasn't. It's it's changed again. And, and as as Chris says, you know, he brought up the Man U game there. That tends to be the pattern. So let's just say, for example, right, Arsenal at the moment. Arsenal are in terrible form. They're there to be got that right. But I just know that despite the fact we've won away 2 0 at Crystal Palace, playing a certain way, if Arsenal was our next game and it was Arsenal away or even Arsenal at home, 
the mindset would be, oh, well, it's Arsenal. They're a good side, so I'm going to play five at the back. It wouldn't be a case of, actually, they're in terrible form. If we get the early goal against them, we'll probably go on and win. So I'm going to kind of stick to the, the way that we played against Palace, where we actually, you know, engendered a couple of chances. And that's the frustrating thing, is that there isn't, there isn't a... There isn't a kind of logic behind what we do, and I think that's what's frustrating. And I think you know the people that I talk with, Newcastle fans, I talk with that that's that that is that does form part of the frustration. It's it's kind of not knowing not knowing who we are, you know. Yeah, I, I'm, I was thinking the exact same thing about Arsenal the other night when people were like, "Oh, we've got Arsenal away in the cup," and obviously any Premier League tie for for us is difficult. We haven't beat a Premier League team in a cup tie for God knows how long. I should know, but I don't. Um, maybe not in the Ashley era, possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, people were, were saying it's a nightmare. It's, well, Arsenal just lost the last three league games games at home. <laughs> you know, it's whilst it's not easy and while it's not optimal, it's not like Jesus Christ, we're, we're automatically out of the cup because because they're not very good at the minute, and and things might change. But it's not it's not a million miles away that fixture. Um, and, and since Bruce has, has consistently said that the cups are important, which we all agree with and commend him for. Um, it will be interesting, but normally you are you are actually spot on, and you, you you fast forward a little bit because one of my questions in the future is 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 you know my concern. We've talked about the podcast before. Is Bruce looks at the league table and just kind of we're not yeah. I think it would be too simplistic for me to say or anyone to say writes off games, but you know it's like all of it. You know, Bruce the other week was saying that. You know, in fairness, some of the teams we've played, they've all been in the top six when you, you know, he's talking about Southampton and Everton. Well, once the sides that, you know, finish below you last season or finish um, one place above you, like Everton did or whatever they were, um, you know, once you start talking about them as top six clubs when everyone knows that the, in the likelihood is they won't finish in the top six and they are where they are partially because of what Norman referenced in terms of it being a weirdly because of COVID and the fact that they're they're often one or two points away from us when we play them. It's a real concern to me that he, he, because of the lack of identity Chris rightly talks about, the, the identity of the club is just trying to win win nine games a season, ten games a season. because that So there isn't anything beyond that. There isn't any thought process beyond that. There isn't any plan beyond that. It's season to season, month to month, week to week, game to game, which I would suggest is a very, very bad way to go. And will will only end one way, and that's with the club eventually relegated. But but again, I, I could be too be, being very harsh here, Chris. You you referenced that kind of Steve Bruce said he hasn't had his best team out. What do you think his best team is in his head? So not I, obviously, I'm interested to know what you think the best team is. But what do you think he thinks his best team is and the formation? Well, in terms of the formation, the he consistently said for his first probably twelve fourteen months as manager that he wanted to play with four at the back wingers and he sort of hinted maybe two up front but definitely that so he wanted a flat back four and then when he hit upon this 5-3-2-5-3-1-1 formation whatever it was when he had Sam Maximum playing behind the striker a few weeks ago I asked him about it again I said so you still want to play with four at the back and he said oh I've never I've never said it's about four at the back it's about having two up front and so I, I I don't I, I don't really know the understand that question. I think Ryan Fraser is in it though. I, that, when I asked him about that, he did he did say yeah we haven't had Ryan Fraser and haven't had others. My strongest team I think would be a, a sort of four two three one with uh, the front four essentially being Wilson and then a combination of any of the three of Sam Maximan, Almiron, Joe Linton, and, and Fraser with either 
Joel Linton or Almiron as, as the number 10 and then the, the, the other two out wide. That would, to me, seem like a, a sort of fluid three behind the striker. Unpredictability there. The best I've seen Newcastle play, and certainly the likes of Joel Linton, is when he's got someone up along with him. Callum Wilson seems to like the support. Fraser and Wilson had a very good understanding but uh when they were at Bournemouth, we haven't seen enough of that yet at Newcastle, but hopefully that they can uh, rekindle that. And then Sam Maximan try and get some more form out of him because we've barely seen that really since Bournemouth away. Apart from the Burnley game, I don't think we've really seen Sam Maximan on more than 60-70%. What do I think Steve Bruce sees it as? I think it probably is something along those sort of lines. I think if, if, you'd, if you'd given him a blank sheet when he first came in and, and told he didn't know how any of the players play it. I think that that would b- probably be the formation he would play, and so and with uh, personnel similar to that. But I can't say that definitively because he hasn't been able to express that. And I think that's part of part of the problem as well is that he doesn't. I don't think that he he helps himself a lot with what he says, and I don't think that he expresses himself well enough when he's asked these questions. It, it doesn't matter that he, he isn't necessarily. It's it's not how he says things. It's just when he he doesn't even give an idea of of what the direction is going forward. He said for so long that he wanted to play a four at the back, and then he's he's given the opportunity to talk about that again. He almost sort of backtracks because he it's almost like he thinks he's saying what he, he thinks people want to hear. That oh no, we need to be sold at the back or whatever, rather than no, this is this is my Newcastle. This is how I want my Newcastle to look, and. So as as I say, it's it's an assumption, but I think it is something like a four two three one, a four four one one, four 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 two, something along those lines. But I can't say that definitively, and I think that's part of the problem. Very interesting, very interesting. That's and and you know we talked about this with Luke last week on the podcast that you you referenced there, and I put to him that you know does, does the manager suffer from a crisis of confidence? And, and Luke said, yeah, he probably. He probably has, um, which is a bit worrying. But it, at least, you know, fair, fair enough. If that's if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Norman, in, interestingly, there, Chris talked about you know any three of the players that he listed. I know you were keen to talk about Miguel Almiron, who is a player that hasn't, you know, he's he's, he's shone under Bruce, but also has found himself outside of the team more often than not this season. What are your thoughts on his his future uh, regarding the kind of stuff we're talking about? I think a few factors play into how it's gone for Army Run. I think the as Chris mentioned there, the the kind of sent almost the, the almost sensitivity to the criticism that means that Bruce kind of chops and changes things with, with quite a lot of regularity. So there isn't a kind of consistent pattern there. And then what that's meant is is that it's meant that Army Ron's been shoehorned in, shoehorned out, he's been, you know, played in one uh, he's been played on left midfield, he's been played in different positions and he's never had a a real consistent run in a, in a position where you can excel. And I think, I mean, on a personal level, if, you, if you're looking at formations and you're saying 4-2-3-1, then I think Almiron has always got to be either on the left side of an attacking three, not a midfield four, an attacking three, or just behind the striker. And it's a role that he can perform. But at the same time, because of the, the inconsistencies in, in team selection and formation, he's, he's getting dropped into different positions in different formations and it just not utilise them to the best of his capabilities. And I, and I genuinely think that Amiron is one of those players that Bruce just doesn't know how to get the best out of. And that's really frustrating because in terms of his natural abilities, he is one of our best one of our best players and he should really be you know, one of the first picks in the side most of the time. Um, and, I, and I think as well that, you know, again, Chris, you were talking about formations. I genuinely think that Bruce, given his history as a football manager, you know, he's in his 60s now, right? And not many people in whatever 
job they're working have these kind of major evolutionary changes in their 60s. Now, as a manager, he has had more effect throughout his career playing 4-4-2 and we played well against Palace with 4-4-2. We played okay in a couple of games of that kind of 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1 formation. And I genuinely think when I Bruce, part of me wishes that that, that would that would be it. That he would settle on that, what he knows, what he can do. And, you know, that that would be, that would be to a certain extent, a type of identity. And I hate to say it, but a little bit like Burnley, you know, Daesh knows probably his limitations as a manager or at least the limitations of the, the finances and the players that he has. And he, and he kind of plays more or less every week that same formation and it gets good results sometimes. Sometimes, you know, they get their backside hands and like they have done lately. But at the same time, it's at least it's a form of identity that's something to cling to. And I think with someone like Ami Ron, until we actually have a, a kind of consistent um, identity, then I think he's just going to continually look lost. And, and for that reason, I don't see him being a kind of fundamental part of a, of a Steve Bruce squad should Bruce be here for the next two or three seasons, which is really sad. Thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, Almiron's he's he's someone I really like, and yeah, I, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. He, he's a player I find the hardest to to sort of analyze to know how good he can actually be, and I think part of that is the circumstances he's he's been in at Newcastle when he first came. He looked really very very good. It was always highlighted that he didn't get assists or goals, but he was operating in a front three whereby he created space for the other two and created those opportunities that Rondon and Perez could profit from and then since then he didn't really have much impact in the, in the first sort of dozen games of, of last season but then had that patch just either side of Christmas where he was scoring and assisting and he was really important and then when he played as a number 10 either side of lockdown I thought that that was maybe when we saw him at his, his most influential again that sort of fluid attacking three behind behind the striker and I do agree with Norman I think if he's going to if he's going to play regularly then where he should be is either on the left of, a, of a, an actual attacking three not a, not a sort of three man midfield as, as he has been or as, as as a number 10 second striker sort of position and I think that that Bruce has struggled to know where to use him and maybe because he, he works so hard that that's almost become to his detriment because that well I could put him there because he, because it's almost square pegs and round holes, not just because it's Steve Bruce, because it's Mike Ashley's Newcastle, and they've got a very unbalanced, or they've certainly last season had a very unbalanced squad in so many ways, where they didn't have a proper centre forward, and they just had loads of. I mean, they've still got they've got three right wing backs, and then they play a right winger as a right wing back because that's Newcastle United for you. But so I, I feel that Almiron suffered a little bit in that that he, he has been moved around and he hasn't had the opportunity to really sort of make a position his own, but. I don't. I don't know how good. I don't. I don't. I don't look at him and think he's sort of top six quality. I. I. I haven't seen enough from him to suggest that. Do I think he can be sort of mid to to, to higher mid table Premier League quite comfortably? Yeah, I do. And I do think there's far more to come from him. But I don't think that that him and Bruce have necessarily married in terms of on pitch what what Almiron can do off the field. Bruce raves about him, and and he do, he genuinely means what he says about Almiron, and and that he, he really does value him in so many ways. But I just think he's that for whatever reason the two of them haven't found the the correct the way to complement each other on the pitch. And either uh, apart from maybe eight to ten games where I've seen the best of Almiron, it sort of just feels a little bit flat, and that he does need. I, th- I think he does need a consistent position, almost like Joe Linton. He needs a consistent position, and he needs to be played there given the confidence to, to play there over a sustained period rather than just, right, we're going to put you in here for one game and see what you can do. And then it just never really quite hits it off. I agree with that. What I would disagree with you on slightly is 
saying you don't think that Almiron is necessarily a top six player. Now it depends on, I guess, how we you know conceptualise the top six. I look at it. I look at Leicester. You know, right? They've had a bit of a wobble lately, but there is say that who will be challenging for the top six. And I look at that Leicester squad, and I, and you put Almiron on that squad under a manager like Rogers, and I think he's a player who would really excel playing for someone like Rogers. So if that was the case, I guess in theory he would be a top six player, right? So I think. Yes, whilst he might be a kind of player who could, you know, necessarily play for Liverpool or Man City or, or a title challenging side. Although, you know, again, you could argue last season Leicester were for most of the season, you know, up up there with a chance. Um, he does have the the capabilities and capacity to be a lot lot better than he is, and I think that's down to the fact that he's just not being managed properly or coached. Properly is a hard word. Not being coached or managed in the way that is getting the best out of the undoubted talents that he has. And I think that's what that's what frustrates me is I think we've got a really, really excellent player there and we're just not getting out of him what, what he's capable of. It's it's an interesting one and it brings me to a central point that I wanted to make on this podcast, which is you know, I've always looked and uh, tried to be <laughs> tried to be fair to Steve Bruce and you know what's he good at and he's he maintains good relationships with players. And he's kind of consistent. And everyone, there's been some stuff this week, you know, will uh, will call Darlow, keep his position when Dubravka's back. And in my opinion, if, if he's playing well and continue to play, the way Steve Bruce manages, Carl Darlow will 100% keep his place. If he's if he doesn't make mistakes, if he plays well, he's been one of Newcastle's best players this season because Bruce seems to have this consistency that the players, particularly the English players or British players, really like that if you play, if, if you play well, you're in the team. Doesn't matter who you keep one out. If you play well, you will stay in the team. And if you're out of the team, you need to wait your turn. But when your turn comes, if you play well, you, you'll stay in the team. And I mean, I might be completely wrong, but that's from the outside looking in. That's what I and, and also listening to ex pro players or previous players of Bruce. That's what they seem to like about them. That kind of knowing where they stand. Whereas some players, you know, John Joe Selvey and Matt Ritchie have said it sometimes that they didn't know where they stood under Rafa, but you know where you stand under Steve Bruce, and that's the reason. But then I look at, you know, that's so that's the preconception. But then, you know, I'm really pleased you mentioned it, um, Chris. The right-back situation this season has been a farce. You know, and, and we talk about formations and we talk about, um, you know, where certain players play and, and what the identity is. If you can't settle on a on a defence, if you can't settle on a right-back, I mean, you know, Manquillo started the season, seemed to do well, had a bad game against Brighton, but who didn't? Then Kraft comes in from nowhere, Um then Mankio comes back for a little bit. Then Jacob Murphy comes back in, and now Mankio's back. And it's just it just suggests a really muddled up style of thinking. That I was going to make this point before, and we talked about the best team, but we only talked about the, the the forward players. And it's the same in central midfield. And talk about partnerships. Like what what is Newcastle's right side of the pitch supposed to look like? Is it Kraft and Joe Linton like it was against Man United? Well, obviously not. I don't think there'd be any Newcastle fans out there who say Newcastle's best right midfield or right side partnership is those two players for a number of reasons. Um, so to bring it back to Mankio, not Mankio, Mankio on the brain. I'm a big fan of his. To bring it back to Almiron, um, you know, if, if you're Fam Almiron, you've got no idea where you're going to play week on week. And if you, even if you do get a game in your in your favourite position behind the striker, like Joe Linton did against Burnley, like Chris alluded to, and then up until Friday night, hadn't played there again since or started a game there since. Um, it must be so difficult for the players to try and work out what they're actually supposed to do. And when we're signed Almir, and if I, if I think back to what we're missing then, we're, we're, everyone who supported Newcastle knew Newcastle lacked pace. 
you know, we had Rondon, we had Perez, who wasn't slow, but it was pretty much left to like Christianatu and DeAndre Yedlin to provide any pace on that side. Um, and Almiron was brought in for that reason. We saw that that instant impact, and you saw against games uh, against Southampton, uh, against Huddersfield. Uh, Wolves away, even when he made his debut, kind of the difference that his direct running and, and pace made to the team. But I think of us now, and apart from the you know the goals against um, Crystal Palace or uh, the first goal, how often do we actually get in behind an opposition? You know, it, I can't think of any times. Rarely, if ever. So if if your whole style of play isn't about playing balls in behind opponents um, and kind of getting between the the last centre back and the goalkeeper. I'd have to agree, or I don't even know if, if you were making this point, Chris, but I have to, I'd have to say that like Almiron's place in this side looks increasingly uncertain, and also his future at the club because I just can't see like how how Steve Bruce is going to going to use him. And he's in one thing I know he definitely isn't. He is not a winger in a four four two. He's just not. He can do a job just like he did a job at is a midfield three against Everton, and then was brutally exposed by Southampton, who targeted him quite rightly in that position. And I just wonder, you know, would it be best for Almiron's career for him to move on? I'm not sure. And, and Norman, you, you obviously have a lot of confidence in him. I share that confidence, but I, I also agree with Chris that, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what his place in this side is going to be moving forward long term. If it's between Joe Litton and Almiron, you know, as a fan, I would love Steve Bruce to come up and say, I'm going to play two strikers or I'm going to play, you know, two forwards, one man behind the striker and Dwight Gale and... Um, Callum Wilson are going to vie for that slot up front, and Andy Carroll, when he's fit, will will also provide support. And behind them, it'll be Almiron and Joe Litton, and they've got to play well to stay in the team. And then, then I think that would bring the best out of both those players in terms of the consistency. Um, but you know whether that will happen, we'll see. Um, Norman, you were also keen to make the point about Matt Ritchie. I, it's just the um, it's interesting because when I saw that he was on the bench against Crystal Palace. And I looked at that bench, I thought, well, actually, there's nothing in that bench that's particularly inspiring. There isn't really much in the way of pace. Yes, Jake and Murphy's there, um, but there's not, there aren't any what I would have called, what I would have called at the time, necessarily game changers on the bench. Um, yet, I think Richie coming on kind of highlighted the futility of playing Armiron as a left sided midfielder because Richie came on, and despite the fact that we know he doesn't have any pace, he's a, you know, what is he, 30, 31 now, which, you know, which is in the Premier League world for somebody who is basically a winger, right? But Richie comes on, plays in a, a kind of natural position on that left-hand side. And within, I think within the sort of first 10 minutes, he put four crosses in, which was, you know, three more than Armie Run had done for the 60-odd minutes that he'd been on the pitch. And I think that it just goes to show you that, you know, there are positions in the team that if we get improvements of the right player in, it would make a huge difference. As I say, let's say we play 4-4-2, right? And we've got an actual left midfielder slash left winger playing on the left-hand side of the pitch. You, you see what can be done when you've got a player like Callum Wilson in the box. Um, we, we, we can't get crosses and we can't create, create trouble. And so, yeah, it, it highlighted the fact that Richie was really effective when he came on, but he's obviously not the long-term answer. And also that player Miguel Almiron on the left-hand side midfield, when Matt Richie's coming on and being more influential than him, just goes to show you how silly it is to put him there. Chris, what's your thoughts on that? And, and Richie, because he's been injured this season, he was injured for large parts of last season. He hasn't really been that involved under Steve Bruce. Do you think that that he's a player we're going to see more and more of? Like, how do you think he fits into this Steve Bruce system, if there is one? 
I think we'll probably will see more. He's very influential off the pitch. Him and the likes of John Joe Shelby are our senior voices in the dressing room. And he, he, I do think that whenever he isn't playing, Newcastle do lack a sort of certainly off the ball intensity. He's just a one of those people who constantly. And when you when you're behind closed doors game, you really do find this. He just is. He just berates his teammates to make sure that they're in the right position. And he sort of is almost the one who drives that. And, and so almost more what he does in that sense, I think is important than what he will necessarily bring. Although I do agree with Norman crossing wise, I think he can be very important, particularly if you've got Callum Wilson, who scores a lot more headers than, than necessarily his height would suggest he would, or certainly more dangerous in that position. Where's he going to fit in the team? Well, again, I'll come back to the point. I don't, I don't yet know, because I, I don't know how exactly Steve Bruce wants to play. He could. He was playing as a wing back for so long that was started under Benitez and then continued uh, under Bruce. Then it switched again, and then he found himself back as a wing back. But we have seen more of him, albeit he's been injured most of the last few months. But when he has been around, we have seen him in in more sort of advanced positions. And I just don't know if in the in the modern Premier League. That that is to, to to Newcastle's benefit. I agree with you, Alex. The problem I've got with Newcastle is, is the lack of of pace, seemingly w- whenever they attack. Now, if they're gonna if they're gonna rely on set pieces and the like, then I think getting Matt Ritchie somewhere in the team is important. But uh, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago on uh, on the Athletic with with Tom Warville, who I have to give him credit for all of the statistics because I basically just put it into context. But he founded it, and basically the conclusion we came to is that Newcastle defensively, certainly when they play five at the back set up like a counter-attacking team but they're no longer counter-attack and so they don't have that they, they, they seed territory they seed possession they seed any sort of initiative but then when they get the ball they invariably either give it away or they just are ponderous on it and there's there's no there's not that sort of snap the best football they played under Bruce last season was quick on the counter-attack, was when they got in and behind. The best football to- towards the end of Rafa Benitez's reign was exactly the same, and I think that that's what they've got to get back to. And if they want to get back to that, the only the only way I see Matt Ritchie consistently starting games would be if it was with wing-backs and him as a wing-back. I could see him coming on and, and, and having a role maybe in the second half of a match, but I'd, I'd, I don't at the moment see him in that, if it is going to be a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2, whatever. I don't see necessarily where he's going to bring that pace. Maybe that's because that's what I want to see from the team. Steve Bruce may have different ideas and, and what Norman mentions about the ability to cross the ball in. That that may be how Steve Bruce sees Matt Ritchie as starting games going forward. But but what I would like to see from the team is is more pace. And in that sense, I just don't see Ritchie in, in a sort of really attacking role. I completely completely agree that that's what I'm saying is is the fact that Ritchie came on and showed because he only had 20 minutes on the pitch. So at that stage of the game, his lack of pace isn't necessarily a mitigating factor because obviously you're playing against players who are you know slightly more tired after having had 70 minutes action. So what 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 I'm what I'm guessing I'm, I'm trying to say is, is that, you know, doing something as, as simple as going out and buying like a, a left midfielder slash left winger who is actually, you know, meant to play in that position, who's got a bit of pace, could improve like Newcastle's attacking threat. Like, I mean, massively, you know, as I say, Almiron, who we, who we know is a good, talented player, was played on the left midfield, which is, which is an absolute madness. Matt Ritchie, who comes on, who is is very, very slow for a Premier League player now and who isn't an answer long-term and who isn't necessarily someone you want to see starting games on in that position, is is coming on and, and, co- and causing problems. So it's just a case of, God, just 
these little tiny things like go out, go out and actually buy a player who was meant to be in that position and who can play in that position really well. It's it's not, and I hate to say it, like, but they, they, surely this one isn't like isn't anything too confusing, right? Well, this when you cast United, don't make Ashley. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the last thing, because uh, time has taken. The last thing I wanted to touch on today is something me and Norman have talked about. I think on a podcast the last couple of weeks, but it's it's central midfield, Chris. Because if you think about, you know, Rafa Benitez when he was Liverpool manager used to talk about central midfield being the most important part of the pitch. Um, and you look at Newcastle's central midfield development over the past five years or so, it's just been pedestrian at best. You know, you had you had uh, Jack Corbach and Vernon Anita under Carver and McLaren, which was obviously dreadful, and we got relegated. No surprises there. John Joe Shelby and Isaac Hayden played much of it in the uh, the, Premier, the the championship season. We'll get into the Premier League. He buys Mikel Marino, who who initially impresses very well, but falls off and then leaves. But in that first Premier League season as well, he kind of has to drop back Diarme because Hayden and Shelby are being consistently overrun. Um, you know, and then then Diarme and, and Key later on come in and, and provide very very temporary solutions to what, in my opinion, remains a big problem. This season, we've seen Hendrick, uh, Hayden, Shelby, Longstaff all played in central midfield. You've also, as Norman alludes to, you've had Almiron played in the midfield three. Uh, you've had Ryan Fraser play, played in that position as well. Like, Chris, what do you think Newcastle's best midfield two is um, in this kind of Steve Bruce best formation? And do you think this is an area that they simply have, have got to improve on if, if we are going to push it with a top 10 side? Well, just to give a mitigating factor, we are all laughing at the Ryan Fraser. That week, there were there was a, a lot of injuries, and it was a bizarre formation. But I mean, it sort of I mean, it didn't work because the, the Wolves should have won comfortably. But there, that was one where it was. I, I can't say that experiment. Oh, I hope that experiment will never be repeated ever again. Um, I think that midfield is the weakest area of Newcastle squad, and by distance. And I think a lot of their other problems emerge from that. When I talk about the lack of ability to counterattack, I just think that they're. They have neither. There's two factors. I think is a midfield. You either want one or the other in the modern game. You either want someone who is a sort of really good at recycling possession. And now I know a lot of these players get criticised to pass it backwards. But I don't necessarily mean that. I mean someone who gets it and makes sure that that you keep the ball. Because on the rare occasions Newcastle get it because they have so little possession, they invariably concede possession. And you just want it almost like right. Well, we're going to have. 30 seconds here, we'll keep the ball, we'll play it a little bit, and then that'll relieve a bit of pressure and create something. But they haven't got a midfielder who does that, nor do they have a sort of real physical presence in midfield. Who The like of, of Modi Army, albeit it would be nice to have a better version, but but Bruce, in his defence, would I think would have kept Modi Army, had Modi Army previously. Benitez obviously wanted to keep the army. The club couldn't agree in terms of length of contract with them, and he left. But they haven't sort of had that sort of presence in midfield who can really be a driving force and I look at them at the minute and it is undoubtedly the area they have to strengthen and Steve Bruce has wanted to strengthen it he's wanted to strengthen it for for well for a lot more than it longer than a year they obviously had the bid for for Bubakari Samari accepted last January the player himself rejected it in some ways I think that certainly pre-pandemic or even given the pandemic and the amount of money which which Steve Bruce was denied by Mike Ashley because of because of the financial effects of that. Maybe having not signed Bubakari Samari, that allowed him to to strengthen the areas. Maybe he couldn't have done. But you look at it, and that has to be the, the priority in January. They've definitely looked at it, and I look at the combinations, and I still think that 
if you could get the very best form, it would probably be Isaac Hayden and Sean Longstaff, in my opinion. Shelby, when he when he is having a good game and when he's given the time in the middle by a sort of passive side, again, no coincidence that the best Newcastle have played, the best Shelby has played, is when he's been against pedestrian opposition midfields, West Ham start the season, Crystal Palace, those sorts of sides, that's when he's at his, his very best. But when there's a, a team with a bit more intensity, I think he does struggle given his his lack of mobility and, and you can argue, and I still would argue, lack of work rate. Given, I know that we get all this stuff about the statistics, but just when if you follow him in a match, I still don't think he necessarily has the tactical awareness to, to do or responsibility. He didn't give himself the responsibility to do that. And so... If Rafa Benitez had stayed, then there's no doubt that John Joe Shelby wouldn't have had a long-term future. Steve Bruce has come in and seen it differently. He's tried to build a side around him to a certain degree. He's, he's been given a long-term contract. But I, I can't yet see a system that, is, that Newcastle have, have played under Steve Bruce, which consistently long-term is going to allow John Joe Shelby to play in the way that he wants to because there are far more teams who have intensity in midfield than are passive in midfield in the Premier League. And so I think he's going to get caught out for far too long. So to, to try and stop a rambling answer, basically, yeah, I think that, that midfield is the primary reason why Newcastle are struggling. And until they can sort that problem out, I don't see them really being able to to consistently get into the top 10 if that is the the idea going forward, because I just don't think they're strong enough in that area. Very interesting answer. Um, I would agree completely. I, I think I think that Isaac Hayden is an issue. Um, as much as I like him as a bloke, and he's he's been good for Newcastle, he's been a fantastic value for money transfer. Um, but I just think in the Premier League, uh, he, he's so limited on the ball that if you're gonna if you're gonna play midfield in the Premier League in in 2020, you just can't have have such a a, a defined role to be a to be someone who is purely in the team for 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 his tackling um, and his his athleticism. I'd like to be wrong, and I, th- I think uh, in the last few counter-attacking performances we saw in the Rafa Benitez, you saw Hayden winning the ball high up the pitch, which led to goals and chances. That's just simply not going to happen. Newcastle are never going to press the press teams um, under Steve Bruce. Norman, your thoughts on what Chris has said there, and would you agree there that Longstaff and Hayden's the, the ideal midfield too? The ideal midfield, if they could recapture the form that they showed at the end of the 2018-19 season, undoubtedly. But for what you've just said about Hayden, I, I agree. And I think Shelby, Chris, I do agree with you on Shelby. And, you know, I've on numerous occasions said that I, I think, you know, building the side around Shelby is, is a madness. His career as a Premier League footballer suggests that it's it's something that's not going to happen. It's not like he's, you know, a 21-year-old, 22-year-old at Swansea now, potentially. He's a 27, 28-year midfielder who's been around for a, a long time and hasn't necessarily fulfilled that that potential that he supposedly had. But I think Wales Bruce is the manager and we continue to be a side that doesn't create many chances. I mean, creates hardly hardly any. It's not even a case of not creating many. It's a, chance, it's a case of creating hardly any. Um, Shelby, like Max Aman, is one of those players who, even if they're not playing particularly well for most of the game, they can still create something out of nothing all of a sudden. And I think Wales, we've got a side that doesn't have this identity. It doesn't necessarily know what, what it's really doing. I think Shelby in the side is more important than Hayden because he can, on occasion, produce that little piece of magic that that can be the difference between a, a you know a one goal defeat or a, or a one goal win or, or whatever. Um, and Hayden doesn't do that. And I think Longstaff, I think Longstaff alongside Shelby can, to a certain extent, do the work that Hayden does—the kind of defensive covering, the, the mobility around the pitch, and the in the box to box. 
that Hayden was doing um, under under Rafa at the end of the eighteen nineteen season. So so for now, as I say, I don't think John Joe Shelby is a long term solution. But right now, in a Steve Bruce side, I actually think he's probably one of the key components. Yeah, well said. Well said. Uh, I think that just about does it for today. We've we've done an hour on on a very average football team, um, and I've tremendously enjoyed it. Like we said, no game this week, and this show would normally be on Patreon for our patrons. Me and Norman do uh, one every month where we just kind of talk through all the issues of Newcastle United, like you've just heard. Uh, but for now, Chris, thanks very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Anytime. Really enjoyed it, guys. And like I said earlier, you can catch Chris on the Pod of the Time podcast every week, uh, and. Me, Norman, and others will be back uh, next week after the. Is it West Brom next week? <laughs> I haven't even. Well, checked. in theory, it depends. Uh, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> it's West Brom next week. That's a big game for Steve Bruce and Newcastle United. So we'll be back. Keep it with true faith. Of course, I forgot to mention how terrible of me. Uh, we have a brand new issue of True Faith out. It's the Christmas edition. Uh, Steve Bruce on top of a Christmas tree on the front. And Charlotte actually edited this issue. I took a step back because uh, of other workload things. She very kindly stepped in to edit the magazine, and it's probably the best one yet. Uh, it is majority Christmas-focused. There's not that much about Newcastle not being very good in it. Uh, some excellent contributions. So I'll put the link in this podcast if you'd like to buy one. It's a great Christmas present for any mags in your life. Uh, please consider buying it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Speak to you all soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.